Welcome to a special uh, holiday edition of 55.1 Podcast. Uh, happy holidays to everyone. Th- today's holiday is Eric Miller Day. Um, we are going to be... My name is Wes Berdine. Sorry, Jeff. Hello. Uh, I'm, I'm Jeff. We don't have any jingle bells, but in the corner, we're recording this in the uh, Brave New Media studio. We do have a Vuvuzela. Yeah. So if yep. we really want to get festive... And we've got a guitar, so we could we could play we'll some We'll do a music. big quarters cover using the Vuvuzela <laughs> yeah. and a guitar for Christmas. Uh, but we are... Uh, we, we took the week off this week uh, uh, so I can travel and so Jeff can, uh, you know, fight with his family or something like that. Um, but... Uh, we recorded this interview with uh, Minnesota's own Eric Miller, who plays for the Colorado Rapids. He um, he went to Creighton University, and then he was drafted by Montreal Impact, uh, had two seasons there. And then this this year, 2016, he went to uh, the Rapids and had an amazing uh, season that he is uh, he led them, basically, to almost the Supporters' Shield. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll talk about his time in Montreal, how he fell in love with soccer at Creighton, especially uh, his time in Colorado, playing for the U.S. national team, and then try to find his allegiances in our special Minnesota quiz. Yeah. So um, thanks for listening. You can find find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Music, etc. Uh, and then find us on the website, 55.1. Thanks. Welcome to a, a special 55.1 podcast. Uh, my name is Wes Berdine. Jeff Reuters here and also with us in, in the, we're in the, the studio actually. Uh, it's Eric Miller, who is uh, fullback for the Colorado Rapids. Hi, Eric. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've, I have interviewed you once before when we had the, the Dunord football show and that was in a, a tiny conference room <laughs> yeah. in an abandoned building. A little um, dodgy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, I've moved up in the world by stealing someone's <laughs> studio, um, but you're you're back home in Minnesota on uh, on vacation. You've been back for a few. Maybe you would have liked to ha- take vacation a, a solid week and a half later, but that, that's the way the season. Yeah, it's uh, obviously went. only one team at the end of the year is happy. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we weren't this year, but sort of looking back after the pain goes away of losing in a tough way, because um, I think none of us. We just all thought we were going to go to the final, and we are going to play at home, we are going to win the final. So I think we were pretty shocked, but after kind of all that went away, um, now we're, I think we're happy with how the season went, and we're kind of proud of how we proved a lot of people wrong and kind of showed what we're, what we're all about, and hopefully we can build enough for the future. So then do MLS clubs give their players, like, holiday allocation money or ham or something in order to <laughs> really enjoy their time away? The Christmas ham, that'd be great. Uh, that would be great. Um, I'm sure Don Garber's working on something like that for maybe when a couple more expansion teams come in, a couple more $150 million fees, we could probably afford that. So, <laughs> But, but for now, I haven't, I haven't seen my Christmas ham come in yet, yeah. unfortunately. We'll be watching for it. Um, well, I do want to talk about the season, but I want to start maybe maybe back earlier, uh, well, a lot earlier with you, and kind of uh, just ask about the the, the moment when you, you feel like you found out that you were good at soccer. Like that, was there a moment that, that clicked for you where it was like, oh. Yeah, I think uh, for me personally, the moment was probably actually when I was at Creighton, because uh, I kind of did... I won like some awards when I was playing high school soccer in Minnesota, and I played for the Thunder and all that stuff. But we were like a pretty bad academy team. Yeah. Um, we didn't do great. We didn't. 
we would win State Cup a lot when they had that, and then we would just lose in regionals by like seven goals to some team from Chicago. So I didn't think I was great then, and then I kind of rode the Woodbury Pipeline up to go to Creighton, um, which was obviously a fantastic experience, but probably my first semester there, I was doing a drill with the assistant coach, Johnny Torres, and a guy named Tyler Polak, who used to play there, who ended up mm-hmm. going to as well. Um, and afterwards, the coach was like, you know, if you keep doing stuff like this, I think you can be a good pro someday. Like, I think you can make it an MLS. I think you can be a good pro. And I, that was probably the first time when I thought, like, hey, like, I could become a professional soccer player. Like, this yeah. is pretty cool. Like, if I keep doing well and all that stuff, I can I can maybe make some money for this for a little while and, and kind of fulfill my dream. Um, was I'm sure that, that along with that, there's there's a certain amount of doubt that comes into it of, like, I think I can be a professional soccer player, but I'm not sure... How did that kind of doubt, what, what was the length of that doubt? Or, or how did you kind of get rid of it or push it away to, to finally take that step and, and go into the draft? And, the, and uh, Well, I guess for me, I always had a lot of that doubt, especially because when I was playing with the 20s and sort of moving through that cycle, um, we only had like two or three college guys that would go to every camp. So I was always like, felt like I was a little bit behind and a little bit off the pace because there was guys getting paid and playing 9, 10, 11 months a year to play soccer, and I was playing the weird college soccer fall schedule and then lifting for three months in the spring. And I sort of always kind of had that doubt until probably my, probably after the U-20 World Cup. Uh, I didn't play at all, but really cool experience, really good to be a part of that group. Um, we didn't have a great World Cup, but we played Spain with Delafoe and Hesio Rodriguez and all those guys. We played France with Pogba and a bunch of other guys who are really famous now and making a lot more money than yeah, we're making yeah. MLS. And they um, don't return your phone calls anymore. And yeah. <laughs> and we drew them, and then we played Ghana, who was um, all those African teams, usually mm-hmm. fantastic youth teams, and they were no exception. They were really, really good, and they destroyed us. But after that, I sort of kind of felt, um, had some talks with Tab Ramos, who was the coach, and he was like, I think it's probably time for you to think about making a leap. And I think at that time it went well for me, too, because I had three years of school knocked out, so to finish up would be a lot easier than some of those guys who leave when they're freshmen, and then it's like, I have three years of school left. Like, that's pretty overwhelming to kind of do that part-time. But for me, it was, I just have a year left. Um, I think I can manage it and all that stuff, so I thought it was a good time to leave. That was when I sort of started to sort of look at agents and that sort of thing and kind of see what was, kind of what was out there. Sure. And school wasn't just like a formality for you. Like, you were going for economics. It wasn't a... No, yeah, that's a, that's another interesting thing. So when I first got to Creighton, I was actually, they have this thing called a 3-3 program where you do three years of your undergrad and then your fourth year of school, you start doing law school. And then your last three years of school are all law school. So that was like, when I went to Creighton, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a 3-3 program, like I'm going to become a lawyer, all this stuff. Um, but sort of along the way, I realized I probably was not going to be there for six years. So I sort of switched to doing economics along the way, which was just probably the most interesting subject to me of all the business ones. Um, Couldn't really do accounting and all that finance stuff, so economics seemed seemed like the way to go. I I just remembered that when we did this interview, we connected that... that my friend Andy Gustafson taught you philosophy. I was thinking about that on the way here, actually. (laughs) I was like, it was a very obscure uh, connection, but he is a terrific guy. Yeah, yeah. So then when do you have time to use that, uh, that economic brain... Um, when you're on the field or off the field. So I actually just started doing, uh, so I graduated my undergrad in May. Um, Creighton was super nice. Uh, They let me transfer in a ton of classes, so I 
took all my classes at Liberty University, which is like an evangelical Christian school. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, one of my, Caleb Stanko actually is one of my good friends from sort of growing up on the regional team and youth national team stuff. So he plays in, I believe he's in Liechtenstein yeah, right now on loan. Yeah, um, and so he has been doing his, so they made this program basically at Liberty for the children of missionaries to get their college degrees, like when they're abroad. Oh, right, um, and right. so he was like, kind of locked onto that, and he was like, hey, you should have class here, they're pretty decent, and I was like, all right, sure, I have some generous to do this money or whatever, seems good enough, like, it meets the standards of transferring it back to Creighton, um, but it's, like, super, super Christian, so it would yeah. be, like, like, how would Jesus feel about, like, this monetary, like, currency exchange, right? and I yeah. like, I'm not really sure, but I guess I can make something up, and we can roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so you were doing all that online? That that yes, yeah, so I did it all online, which is... Then... Which worked out well, and then um, it was super nice as well because I just took them all pass fail, so I just had to reach like seventy percent, and I could right. just hang it up for this mess or the few months left, yeah, which was terrific. And then I just started doing my MBA in, uh, I think in July. Yeah, started doing my MBA. There's in, that. You've, I'm sure you've seen the commercials on MLS games at New Hampshire University. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So wow. doing that, yeah. yeah, we get a huge discount for that. That's so interesting. Uh, I'm one of. The, I don't think there's a lot of guys who do it, and uh, but yeah, it makes sense for me right now. Like. Yeah, it's not Wharton or like an Ivy League school, but to get your MBA for I think it's gonna I think you get like a seventy five or eighty percent discount on it. So yeah, probably like me. Is, is that sense. part of like a for you? Is it a matter of just like now trying to take steps so that ten years from now when you're like when your knees start getting rickety, you have you've got a plan? I mean, are you thinking that far in ahead, or is it just a matter of I should do this while I while I can? I think it's it's a combination of the two for sure. Um, Certainly at some point if I have a family and all that stuff, I don't want to be doing school then because it's a lot harder when you have, like, commitments and all the time your family's always there. But, like, now people don't realize, but, like, the amount of free time we have, like, I get done at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock every day and then I'm free until the next day. So it's good to have something to fill your time and to have – I'm a pretty curious person and I'm kind of always working and trying to do stuff. So it's kind of just something I – like, I don't mind school, which is – I think a lot of people do, but I don't mind learning and I like to find out new stuff and – so that makes it a lot easier. Um, then obviously, I think too, like at some point, soccer's gonna end. It ends for everyone. Hopefully, I can pull a marker to Iowa and play till I'm 39. But yeah. unfortunately, that's not the case for a lot of guys. So I think it's. I was just at the players' union meetings in Vegas, and we had a whole. We had a guest speaker come in and talk to us for like three hours about post-career stuff, and it's hard because you play for so long and you kind of establish this this status or whatever, and then it's just gone the next day. And yeah. You have to figure out what kind of what comes next, and guys don't necessarily do a great job of that. So I think that's something that MLS is trying to figure out because we have a lot of decently educated guys and we have a lot of guys who want to kind of figure out what comes next sooner than when they have to retire, but it's hard to kind of figure it out. And so I think for now, just trying to learn as much as I can and figure out kind of what, what I want to do when I'm all done. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about talk about Montreal because you got the, – that was your first club. You were there for two seasons. In the first – your rookie season, you played – 20, 21 games, something like that. Um, and then you got injured for that second season for a good chunk of it. Um, what is your, what's, what do you take away from Montreal? What was your like big lesson? Was it, was it someone meeting someone like DeVio and, uh, and the, the kind of experience there or, or something else? Yeah, I mean, I learned uh, just sort of how to become a professional, I think, which is something that you don't think about when you're at college because like, I think people always talk about, which is interesting, and they talk about it at Creighton a lot because every kid that goes to Creighton is generally like the best kid from his club team. And then you sort of hit the, 
the new team where everyone's the best player and you're probably not the best player anymore. Sure. And I sort of navigated that fairly easily when I first got there, so it wasn't like a huge shock. And then I was one of the better players on my team by the time I was a junior or whatever, and then I left. But I think just the transition of like showing up every day and having to do a really good job every day is something that you don't really get until you're a professional because like at Creighton I could pull an all-nighter because I had to study for a test and then show up on a two-hour nap and do all right in training because I was just by the end of my time there I was just better than some of the kids who were there so it wasn't super challenging but like if I don't sleep for eight hours and then I go to training I'm, I'm just not going to do well now in yeah. MLS setting like there's so many good guys and it's so competitive and it's to the point where like guys are playing for their um like for their families and for their own like this is how they pay this is how we all pay our bills so like yeah. the level of intensity all the time I think is something I learned a lot about um it was just a overall Montreal was a the second year wasn't great but I learned a lot about like being a good pro when you're not playing because there's a lot of guys who are black holes and who become cancers to the team when they get out of the team and I I tried really hard to not become that, and I think you learn, you just learn a lot about yourself sort of when things go bad instead of when they go good, you know? Yeah. Because, like, everyone's happy and everyone loves everyone when you're playing every week and you're winning all the games, but you find out a lot more when you aren't in the 18, even though you're healthy, and you sort of figure out, I think, too, sort of what you're bad at. Because, like, my, my rookie year in Montreal, I, I started the first game of my MLS career that I was available for, and I started all the games of preseason, so, like, I didn't have a ton of time to sort of step back and be like, you know, I'm pretty bad at that. Like, I need to improve at this. And the guy who's playing over me right now is considerably better at that, so that's probably something I should spend an extra half hour out here today working on. And mm-hmm. yeah. you just learn kind of how to grind it. And I think I didn't – I learned that a little bit my first year, but my second year I learned it a lot more. And I think that you had to do a lot of learning then between the second and third year because you ended up getting traded too um, for a 2018 first-round pick and some general allocation money that can't be used on Christmas ham. <laughs> so I guess how – how do you find out about trades like this? How soon, like, how early in the process do you find out? Or is it suddenly you pull out Twitter and Grant Wall said Eric Miller's traded for some game, and you're like, all right, pack it up? Um, I was trying to get traded for a while because I wasn't playing, so I tried to get traded probably as soon as that summer because I wasn't playing. I wasn't necessarily enjoying playing for the coach who was there at the time that much, and I didn't see a future in which I was going to play a lot because we had Mboaz Ayongo who is a really good player and he was playing over me, he plays for Cameroon, plays a ton for the Impact now. Donnie Toya, another good young player who was playing a lot. Hasun Kamara who was there forever and who the fans love and he is a great player as well. So I didn't see a really f- bright future for myself in terms of getting a lot of games and all that stuff and I was playing on the 23s at that point and I was like I just need to sort of get some more where I can play. Like, I love living in Montreal. It's super fun. I'm really enjoying my time here. I have a lot of really good friends, but for my professional career, I sort of need to get out of here. So I was probably trying to get traded as soon as that summer. A couple of teams kind of came in for me, but I'm sure they didn't offer a lot, and so nothing happened. Um, I had sort of a falling out with the impact after that Olympic thing uh, when I got called back from the tournament, which I probably shouldn't talk too much about here, uh, but I can tell you about (laughs) later. Um... Because I still, like, I really like the impact, and I have a lot of respect for a lot of the people there, except for just one or two, maybe. But, like, Mauro Biela, I think, is a great guy. I think they do a great job. Joey Saputo and Nick DeSantis at the club of, like, they just care so much about the team. And I think, like, I'm coming to a different place now where the owner is a little more distant than Joey. Like, Joey is on the field after yelling at the referee. And, like, I think 
to have someone that invested, like maybe sometimes it's a bit too much, but it's great to see someone who's that invested. So um, after the season, I had my meeting with them. They were like, look, we still see a really bright future for you and all that stuff. Um, I was like, look, I'm not really enjoying my time here right now. I'm not playing at all. Like I'm a healthy scratch for you guys. Like I think I still have some value where if you move me now, I can probably provide you something because I'm still really thankful that you drafted me or whatever. Like you gave me a chance. I get a lot of games here. Like, for sure enjoyed my time but like I think it's time for us to just part ways you know um and so nothing happened all off season until I went to the January camp um that was with Klinsman called you into the Klinsman called me in because they had a lot of the 23s guy go so you at striker right as Klinsman does um I wish you would have actually (laughs) um but unfortunately not I played a little bit of center back and a little outside back but uh, maybe with Bruce Arena, I'll get a chance there. Yeah. You never know. Um, but so I did the January camp, all that stuff. Went back to Montreal. Nothing was moving, and this was probably this is probably about three weeks into their preseason. And so I drove my car from Minnesota to Montreal, which is like twenty hours. Um, trained for just a week while they were back from. They went to Florida. They came back for a week, so everyone could see their family. They were going to leave for Fort Lauderdale on that Monday, and so on that. Sunday, which was Valentine's Day, I got a call from the technical director, who was Adam Braz, and it was a really weird thing, because, like, you just don't get called by the technical director out of the blue, or I don't, usually, <laughs> just for a chat, but, um, so he called me, he said, hey, what are you doing? I was like, oh, just packing my bags, getting ready for the trip, all that stuff. He's like, <laughs> in retrospect, it's really strange I did this, but he was like, hey, can you come meet me, um, at this cafe in, uh... I, which is actually good because anytime you meet Adam Braz, it has to be in a neutral location with other people around, so there's not a meltdown. That's, uh, I mean, every Minnesotan knows that. Yeah, it's, it's I've heard plenty awesome. about that. Um, so he called me and he asked me to meet him in uh, St. Henry, which is about like it was like a 35 minute drive from where I lived, and I was just like, I'm pretty busy. Like, can we just like talk about it tomorrow? And he was like, No, like, it's pretty important to meet. And I was like all right, well, there's, like, this cafe, like, five minutes from, like, five minute walk from where I live. We'll just go meet there or whatever. Um, I was like, I'll see you there in a half hour. Um, in the meantime, called my agent. I was like, hey, what's going on? And he was like, hey, I uh, just spoke to Adam. You're going to get traded to uh, Colorado? And I was like, okay. But he's like, don't tell him I told you because, like, try to pretend surprise or try to act like you're surprised when he, <laughs> when he tells you. And I was like, okay, but, like... <laughs> It's like a birthday present you weren't supposed to know about. Yeah, people in soccer like to like pretend they're doing like a lot of tradecraft always, which I think is really funny. But uh, so, anyways, I met him at the cafe. It was Valentine's Day actually, so there was like two French Canadian couples, and it was like very, very cramped French cafe. Yeah. Like two French Canadian couples who were like very much enjoying their time next to us, and we we're just like sandwiched in. Um, he just told me thanks for everything. Appreciate your time here. He didn't reach his hand over and slowly stroke your. <laughs> no, even though it was Valentine's Day, I didn't get anything like that. Um, so basically, it was like a like a three or four minute conversation. He bought me a coffee, which was nice. Yeah. But uh, three or four minute conversation, then I walked back to my place. Um, Porig called me. Who's the? I think he's like our. I don't know, it's sporting director or something in Colorado. Some front office position. Um, called me. Really happy to have you. All that stuff. Um, then the. Administrator called me from the Rapids and was like, "Hey, looking to get you to Tucson, which is where they were as quickly as possible." Um, I was like, "Sure." Uh, it's negative twenty-five degrees here in Montreal right now, so I'd love to get out of here. <laughs> Go to Tucson. Uh, next Tucson sounds great. Um, and so I left yeah. Tuesday morning. 
so I had Monday to pack all my stuff. Cassie was in Montreal, so she drove my car back to Minnesota. Wow. Um, which was super nice of her. Yeah. She got snuck in a snowstorm, which is yeah. terrible. But um, so I we just packed all my stuff. I left Tuesday morning to join the Rapids, and then just hopped into preseason. I had to fly back to Montreal eventually to get my like the rest of my stuff and sort of tie up all the loose ends. But yeah. Yeah. So. Colorado, when you joined them, uh, were slated to be the worst team of all time. By the end of by the end of it, I mean, no one no one anywhere saw saw foresaw the season that that you guys had. Um, it's completely attributable to to the acquisition of Eric Miller. Hundred percent, I would say probably. But I mean, you, the win, the team that you joined, you you knew you were going into a team that was pretty bad in 2015. 2016 uh, ended up different. Um, is there was that like a were you taking it as a this is a great challenge? Here's a team I know because we've struggled so much. Me coming in, I can have a, I can probably get a good starting spot and I can work to it. Was that, was it like a challenge, like a fixer upper that you were being a part of or? So it was definitely like a, I, first thing I thought was just talking to my agent. He was like, look, this team is not super good, but we, they don't have a right back right now. So yeah. <laughs> unless you punch Pablo in the face during preseason, you can probably play a lot here. And so I was like, perfect, cool. I would not punch Pablo. I don't think anyone would. <laughs> I think it'd bounce off his mustache. Um, yeah. So I don't think, um, yeah, I was just like, cool, I can play a lot here. Um, they have some good pieces. And the weird thing that sort of I didn't realize then was like I had a couple of buddies in the team, and I know some people that played there before that because everyone in MLS moves around through all the teams or whatever, and they were like, even though the team is very bad, the locker room and the guys there are such a good group of guys, like it is very foreseeable that they will climb out of this and become a decent team or even a good team, who knows. But it's like even though they've been really bad for two years, like the guys are still together, they're still like – like each other, like there's not fights in training. Like my first year in Montreal and we were the worst team in the league, it was like like just like chaos all the time. It was like guys are fighting, guys are yelling at each other, like no one's getting along and I also think for Montreal, I my second year when we sort of turned it around and made the Champions League final and became mm-hmm. a good MLS team, I sort of was part of a turnaround, so I sort of had some experience in that capacity of like this is kind of how we fix things and this is kind of how we do things better. And so I think that was helpful as well to come to a team that was in a bad way, but obviously I think people in MLS, their prediction abilities are pretty poor for the most part, so I'm sure that makes you guys happy because I've seen some Minnesota United predictions that they could be, <laughs> again, the worst team in MLS history, so maybe we'll meet them in the Western Conference Final. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty, that's pretty inevitable at this the point. way it's going to be. There's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, I think, uh, <laughs> lots of Grant Wall quotes that are printed out already in the, yeah. uh, in the Minnesota United front office. Well, we had even those, like, it was great, like, our end of the year banquet, it was like, we just watched the videos and like you're gonna finish dead last. Like yeah. the team's gonna be brutal, and it's like people always like chalk it up to like dumb cliches of like motivation, but like it is very motivational to like like finally have to see a guy in MLSsoccer.com be like, well, we were wrong about the Rapids. Like they keep shutting people out, and they're now in the Western Conference Final. Like and and uh, you know this is a a good question because there's certain things about MLS that make it a lot different. The parody and all all of these things. But you just talked about locker room, and I'm curious for um, for a league that's so crazy. You know, DC United go from world's worst team to all of a sudden, you know, and also when they're the world's beaters. worst team, they won the Open Cup. So. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so what is it about uh, about a team that that can 
Is it something about the team maybe that that's like you know if you have a good locker room you can turn you can turn water into wine or is it something about the league that that has that parity? I think again it's both. I think the first thing you have to realize about MLS is that the way the league is structured with salary caps and all that stuff like player for player there's not a huge difference any team you go to like the Rapids versus the Sounders versus the Galaxy versus the Quakes like we may have done vastly differently throughout the year but player for player because of the way the salary cap is structured and like the demographics of players who want to come here like it's pretty similar so like that's why you always see crazy stuff like when Houston was horrendous at the beginning of the year they beat FC Dallas 5-0 because the -hmm. players are pretty similar so like on any given day like I think MLS wants that. They want every game to be like either team can win. They don't want to have Manchester City playing bottom of the table teams. You know, they want to have every yeah. game's exciting and interesting. I think that's where team chemistry becomes so important because like the margins are very slim and if your team sticks together and if they fight for each other, sort of big cliches again, but like if you just like work for each other and you're all accountable, like that stuff goes a long way. Like I know in a lot of games this year, I don't think we're super talented still as a team. I know when we got when I first got to Colorado, I was like, man, this training is, like, not as high of a level as Montreal, for sure. Like, the players are not quite as skilled. Like, obviously, it's a different style and all that stuff, but I was like, man, I just don't think the, like, the quality of players is, like, quite as good as it was in Montreal. But we fight for each other, and we all work really hard, and I think those are traits in the MLS now that are very valuable and very important. I don't know. In a lot of games this year, you could sort of feel our team um, – getting stronger as the game went on and other teams sort of falling apart and yelling at each other and all that stuff. And I think, like, we're, we played on razor-thin margins all year, but I think because of the strength of our chemistry and the strength of our locker room, we made it semi-sustainable. Yeah. Well, you were one of three U.S. internationals that was brought in during the off season. Um, there also was Jermaine Jones and Tim Howard, who are a little less famous than you <laughs> are, certainly, uh, to the average American soccer fan. So then having, I mean, someone like Jermaine, who's just, at least from the outside, looks like a constant motor, and then someone like Howard, who's seen all of it, everything that you possibly could experience on a field, does that help to kind of rally a team that's, again, working with this kind of adversity of being called bottom dwellers? Yeah, I think um, certainly to an extent all that stuff helps a lot. I think Jermaine um, is, like, crazy in a very good way. Uh, He's, like, hyper-competitive all the time, and I think... Having guys like that around is very important because every training session, the standard with a guy like Jermaine is very high, and maybe in Colorado they didn't have that before necessarily. Of like a guy who, like Kevin Doyle, obviously played at a really high level, but like Jermaine, like played Champions League a lot, and he played in the Bundesliga for a long time at a very high level. And I think to have a guy at that standard who's like telling guys like that is just not good enough, and you need to do better. Like it maybe sounds bad sometimes the way it comes off, but I think everything with Jermaine is important to realize. Like it comes from a really good place of like, he just wants to win that badly that he's willing to go to like pretty intense and crazy places to help the team go there. And obviously with Tim coming in, I think Tim is sort of like a weird father figure now because he's so much more experienced than all of us. And he's seen, like you said, he's seen it all. He's played in the biggest games for U.S. soccer over the last 10, 15 years. He's played in the Premier League for a long time at a really good level, and I think to have someone like that, like, like nothing phases him. Like, we can go to Seattle and, like, there's going to be 76,000 people in their stadium, and they're going to be loud, and it's going to be turf, and it's going to be weird, but he's there, and he just knows, like, there's just a guy there who's like, you know what, it's going to be all right. Like, I've seen so much crazy in this. Like, we can we can take this on. Like, it's not a problem. Hmm. Um, Are you... Currently living on Pastor Pablo Mastroeni's futon. 
upset. I am not, you unfortunately. Um, yeah, he has a family, so I have my own place, but um, I'm sure it would be interesting, and I would learn a lot okay. of weird stuff about him. I, I am kind of curious about Pablo in, in terms of what what type type of a coach is he? Uh, whether that's comparing to, to your other experiences, or just, like, what are his, like, main traits that, that seem to work well? Um, I think Pablo is one of the smartest people in soccer I've ever worked with, which I think is... Probably one of his biggest strengths, like he's just he's super smart. Like we always do crosswords on the road and like stuff like that, and he just like comes over and he can like that one's this, that one's that, that one's this. You guys need any more? Just like let me know. Like he's just a really intelligent guy. I think in a lot of different aspects of life, and I think he's one of the best things which I think he did, which I think the players respect a lot about him. Is like after they were so bad for two years, he just sort of did a lot of like self reflection and was like, right now I'm not a very good coach. Like I'm not doing a good job. We are very bad. And I am in charge of this, so I need to figure out sort of how to do better. And I think he did a really good job of sort of defining what he wants to do and sort of figuring out what he wants to do as a team, as a coach, as a entire club. And I think stuff like that is really helpful. And I think he just did a really good job of sort of saying, this is the framework we're going to play within. Um, this is what I want you to do in your position. This is what you need to be doing in your position. And obviously, I think... In the first year of it, we focused a lot more on the defensive side, so we got labeled as pragmatic and all that stuff. But I think moving forward, I know in our end-of-the-year meeting, he talked a lot about going forward and all that stuff. So I think he just sort of did a great job of establishing his framework he wants to move out of, and I think a lot of coaches don't necessarily do a great job of that, which is weird because it seems so obvious to like, like tell people what you want them to do. But I think for a lot of coaches, it's just difficult to express what you want because I know I was talking to him at one point we were doing some like individual defensive drill and I explained something to him in a or like I understood it in a different way than he was trying to explain it to me and he was like that's a really weird way to learn that but I'm like everyone learns differently and everyone and like takes in information differently I think he's so smart and does such a good job of like understanding that maybe I'm need to be out on the field and I need to like be in my tactical shape to move around whereas another guy can just sit in a room and you can move a PowerPoint around. He figures the same thing out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, other than that, I think he's probably the best motivator I've ever played for. Um, is it is he a, a, a scream in, in halftime motivator or a, a yeah. calm... Okay, all right. But it's a really weird juxtaposition with him because he's so intense. Like, I know, like, a lot of times we say inside the lines, but he's obviously not quite inside the lines because he's not allowed to be, although he probably wants to be, but, like... When you're doing soccer-related stuff, he is, like, hyper-intense. But right when that stuff's done, like, when you see him on lunch and stuff, he is one of the most laid-back, like, chill, like, fully embracing the Colorado, like, persona person that I've met. And I think it's I think it's obviously interesting to see someone who can kind of change it like that. Greg Jordan's a guy that played in Minnesota who is, like, mm -hmm. off the field. is like, Greg is one of the nicest people I've ever met. But the guy is an absolute warrior when he's playing soccer. So I think there's a lot of people like that. And I think he does a good job of balancing the two. And I think... The other thing with him is he's, like, a big thinker, which I'm sure you've seen some of his outrageous quotes, but, like, mm -hmm. like guys like that stuff, and they like a guy who's, like, not afraid to be, like, different, not afraid to be weird, and, like, who's, like, telling you stuff that's maybe you haven't thought about before. Like, our <laughs> interesting little anecdote about him, the night before our Seattle playoff game, he memorized a poem <laughs> and performed it for us at dinner, and it sounds like if you told me before the season, yeah. like, the coach you're going to is going to, like, perform poem three guys i would be like that's gonna be super weird but like <laughs> afterwards i was like all right this is sweet like let's go play this game it's gonna be terrific what was, what was, what was the, the poem? poem do you know 
Uh, it's called The Man in the Glass. Um, we have to look this up. Okay. It's a super good poem. You should check it out. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of, it's just mainly about like self-reflection. He modified it a little bit to be more um, fitting for soccer in our team situation, but yeah, it was great. I, I mean, I've, I've always loved Pablo. That 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 is one extra reason to, to love him. Uh, I want to switch gears and uh, there's um, Sydney and Dom, uh, and then there's uh, Eric and Cassie. You've been dating uh, Cassie Coleman of the the Coleman Dynasty, uh, Minnesota uh, uh, Dynasty, for for a while now. Um, do you give uh, Sydney and Dom Dwyer um, uh, dating tips? Is it or because they're not even dating so? Um, relationship advice? No relationship advice. Okay. Um, they're super lucky that they're... I think they were playing in the same place for a little bit. I don't know if they still are. Are they? I, I, I'm, she got... She's, 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 she's been pregnant, too, so I don't think she's been yeah. Her rights are still with Kansas City, yeah. Okay. So they're obviously obviously much luckier than we are because they get to play in the same place, which yeah. is super cool and fun for them. But um, Cassie just moved to D.C. She just moved to D.C., which she's really excited about, which should be fun. Yeah. Um, Obviously, they have an MLS team, so I hope somewhere down the line we can play in the same place. I know she was super excited when the guy or the lady, whoever it was from Minnesota, bought the Kansas City and yeah, sale yep, team. She yeah, was yeah. very excited, but it doesn't look like they're going to move them from what I've no. seen. You guys would know better than I do, but she was pretty excited about that maybe we could both come home and play one day yeah. aspect of things. But you never Well, know. I mean, I, I, we've often put pressure on, on the owner to, to do an NWSL, and I understand... Building a stadium, going to MLS are big things. You can't, can't. But you know, five years from now, uh, uh, work that out. That, and I think it's, right. I think the MWSL is in a good place for. It's gonna just grow a lot, and I think for. The girls who play there, like it's kind of sucks. It's like the guys who built the foundation of MLS and who played in like the '90s and the early 2000s of like you're getting paid terribly, and it's kind of sucks. Like. I think it sucks because they're kind of building the foundation of, I think the NWSL is going to get big and I think they're going to do well. If soccer continues to grow, it's going to continue to grow. And obviously, everyone wants to see the U.S. women's national team players play because they are the best in the world, a lot of them. So I think it's, yeah, hopefully, I think they can figure out like a good... And they made it past that year four, which had always been kind of the big hurdle with professional women's leagues in the U.S. But then, I mean, like you said, you guys are playing in different cities. So what kind of effect does that have on, on all of it, either on the field or on the relationship? Um, I guess we're pretty used to it now because she went to Florida State and I went to Creighton, so we sort of have always been okay with, like, um, soccer is just going to come first for a little while, and, like, for a lot of people it's hard because it's, like, you can sort of move around and, like, if maybe if your wife or girlfriend has to go somewhere for work, like, there's probably a career that you can do in that same city, and so you can maybe both move together, but... In MLS and MWSL, you have very little control over where you end up going. So obviously for college, we had a choice of... We could have gone to go play in the same place, but she was pretty set on Florida State, and they don't have a men's team, and I was pretty set on Creighton. So um, we've just sort of gotten used to it. Um, it's not... A lot of people talk very poorly about long-distance relationships and that stuff, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Like, we just we just gotten used to it, so it's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, back back to other on the field stuff, but um, uh, when you, I, I want to think about you as a as a fullback and kind of, um, I'm curious about who you watch, whether it's teammates, opposition, or some guy in the Bundesliga, in order to to figure out 
what can I add to my game? Or how does that person do that? Like, who are the who are the people that you see and you're like, God, I wish I could be Steve Tarundolo or something like that. Steve Tarundolo was huge when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, too, is, like, no one... <laughs> Well, I don't think there's very many people who, like, grow up dreaming of becoming a fullback. Yeah. Like, I think that's a pretty limited <laughs> yeah. portion of people. Like, I sort of just ended up playing there. Um, so I sort of, over the last, I've been playing there for six-ish years now when I got to Creighton. Mm-hmm. Probably since I started there, they just didn't have one. So I was like, I think I can do that. Let's see what happens. Um, Phil Blom is, like, probably the number one, I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he played in the middle lot for Pep at Bayern, but he's just like a does everything super well doesn't do like one thing extraordinary well but like he does all the little things really really good mm-hmm. um, that's why he slides in the midfield so well um he's a big guy i would say seamus coleman's another guy i really mm-hmm. like the way he plays um he bombs up and down tackles really hard um in mls um i would say a guy like harrison a fool has been terrific mm-hmm. um they had a guy named hernan grana who played for mm-hmm. the crew for like 12 games ish i think and he was like one of the best fullbacks I've ever seen. I wish he would have stayed in the league for longer. And what is it, a guy like that, when you when you see something that stands out to you, is that something that this person does something I can't do and that, and I'm just kind of in awe of that? Or is that, are there parts about their game where you go, I've never, or I, I have to incorporate that somehow? I think it's is more it, on the incorporation side. Yeah. I think it's sort of like, like you can still watch the way like Philip Lom, like, uses his spacing or, like, plays with a guy that's playing against him and just, like, moves the guy he's playing against around or, like, his relationship with the guy in front of him and sort of all that stuff and how symbiotic you should become. And, like, the guys on Byron are great at that because they're so well tactically schooled. Like, they're just second nature. Like, they're just moving the perfect way all the time the way they should be. Um, And I think for him, Phil Blom is just, like, so smart and, like, the way he he's just so hyper-aware of everything going on around him. It's just, like... The game looks so easy for him all the time. Like, it never looks like he's really, like, having a tough time because in actuality he's probably not because he's so experienced at this point in his career. Um, and the, and um, then I'm, I'm also thinking of people you've played against not non-fullbacks. Um, I think about this story of um, uh, a player who I was talking to uh, in the second division who played against uh, FC Dallas in the Open Cup. And uh, we were talking about just players that, that he had played against that, that were amazing, and he said, Fabian Castillo, when he when he played against Castillo, any time he came by him, uh, he just fouled him because he knew that second he, you know the second he moved too far, I've lost him and, and he's in on goal. Um, and I like are there are there players like that who who you think who who, who you know just test you test the the limits that that you've reached. Yeah, I would say it's. Um... That stuff is really fun, though, I think, for a lot of guys, and I think it's, like, something you should just, like, embrace. Like, there's a guy here who plays in MLS who I make close to the minimum, and this guy makes mm-hmm. $3 million a year. So, like, yeah. it's, it's really cool that we get to oppose each other in this game. So, like, Mario Diaz, I think, is a guy who is just, like, whenever we played FC Dallas, it sucks he got hurt because mm-hmm. I say their playoff run would have probably been a lot different with him. But it was, like, always our back six of just, like, every single person had to kind of be aware of where he was at because he's that dangerous of, like, he's just always hunting little pockets, and, like, when he gets it and turns, he's playing a guy through, and that guy is probably scoring. So, like, it's kind of the step before they're scoring of, like, trying to always find Diaz and trying to figure out where he was. That was, like, a super mentally uh, difficult game of just, like, always being switched on and always being locked in of where he was. I played Castillo. 
he's tough. Um, obviously, he's playing in Turkey now. I don't think he's coming back, but... Sounds like he burned that bridge. Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah. Solid. Um, yeah. Other guys, I think Diego Valeri is okay. super fun to play against. Um, another guy which just, like, sees everything on the field and, like, sees passes that I will probably never see in my life. And he's fun to just touch yourself against. Obviously, Jaminko is, is a tough one, too. We got very fortunate this year that they got an early red against us, so he was kind of up on an island by himself. Um, Ladero obviously was first time playing against him recently, but he's yeah. was really tough. Um, Joe Plata was a guy who sort of plays more on the wing that uh, I had a had a fun battle with. It was kind of fun to see a guy who's been successful in the MLS for a long time and, and to see what I had. And being in that Rocky Mountain Cup atmosphere this year too must have made that matchup even more. I mean, just difficult. And yeah, I. Uh, I didn't make the trip to Montreal when we went my first two years. I think I was hurt, and I didn't realize how, like, cool of an atmosphere that is. Like, cool stadium, fans are really good, they sing a lot, they're all, like, pretty together, so that was a really fun one. Um, obviously, we didn't win the Rocky Mountain Cup, which just kind of sucked, but there's always next year, and, and yeah. obviously we went a little farther than them in the playoffs, which is more important for some of us. <laughs> yeah, you got that, yeah. Uh, you, we talked about it a little bit, but you did earn that uh, call-up last January to a, a Camp Cupcake. Um so I, I, your camp strudel with Clinton probably. <laughs> so I guess I'm I'm a little curious for a couple of reasons about that. First off, for you personally, what did you get out of that? Um, for me personally, I think one of the big things I got was I got a head start of everyone in the season, which people don't realize. Like for a lot of us young guys who are sort of not the Michael Bradleys or the Josies, where it's like that guy's gonna start every game for us no matter what. Um, for me, it was like. I trained for two or three extra weeks. I was way fitter than everyone. And, like, when I got to Colorado, I was just, like, sharp and fit, and I made a good impression right away because I was just – had that extra little time to be training and be sharp, and I think that was super helpful for me. Um, just fun to kind of touch yourself every day against the best American players that we have to offer. It's cool now that a lot of the guys, those guys play in the MLS because, like, before maybe the January camp was – didn't have your top starting guys because they were all playing overseas, but now a lot of those guys are playing in MLS, so it was cool to just battle those guys and see kind of where they're at and just kind of see how they are in training. Like, there's guys like Lee Wynn. Like, Lee Wynn was always a guy I thought was, was pretty good for New England, but when I saw him in training every day, I was like, wow, this guy is excellent, and he should maybe be getting a little more of an opportunity, but um, obviously I'm not in charge of that right now, so... Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought you it was got a couple great. more years before. Yeah, yeah. Run the hopefully team. I have a couple more years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just cool to see, and sort of just like little drills guys do. Like I'm trying to think of like center backs or like Matt Beasley, like just to sort of see what Matt Beasley does after training to like work on his game and like see what guys are just trying to do because those guys like I noticed it there like every guy there goes in the gym almost every day and they're almost all on the field afterwards. So it's interesting to see kind of what separates like a guy who just plays an MLS versus a guy who can make the leap and, and kind of become a consistent national team player. Sure. Well, there's been a, a change. I don't know if you heard in the, the head coach of the, the U S national yeah, team. Yeah, I think I caught some of that. <laughs> um, do you have any sort of inkling of whether or not you might get a repeat call up if you're in arenas plans? Um, I think I saw they're going to call in Rosenberry. Mm-hmm. So I think that probably means I'm out for the short term. Um, I think he's going to put a lot more, um, what's the way? We're just going to put a lot more onus on the American players that are playing in MLS to sort of become the backbone of the national team again, which is interesting. Uh, obviously, that's not what Jurgen wanted, and it's not what he thought was good. Um, and obviously, there's they had plenty of success doing it Jurgen's way. And I think when they did a Bruce Arena play in the past, they've had a lot of success doing that, so it'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out. 
But I think um, against the Galaxy, we played them a lot. Um, I think he'll be watching MLS games. I know he was at our second game against Seattle. Um, and Jurgen was actually at our game against LA. Uh, so I think hopefully I can keep playing and try to stay in the national team picture. I think obviously there's not a ton of good fullbacks right now. Um, so I think it's a position that we need guys to play. So hopefully I can keep improving. It's sort of that's obviously my my end goal is to become a player in that pool. So hopefully I can keep improving and become part of it. Does that require you to look at playing left back a little bit? Um, that's kind of America's bugaboo forever. Potentially, uh, I played a little bit. I've actually played. I think they sort of saw me as playing left back for them uh, at the beginning of the year in Colorado. Then we had weird injuries where I ended up playing center back and then right back, and then just sort of settled into right back. Um, I've done it a lot, and I can do it. Um, I think if I was going to do it at a national team level, I would need to be a guy like Robbie Rogers, who does it every week and plays it all the time and is very comfortable and consistent with it. But I think for a guy like me that can play right back, left back, center back, you have a lot of value for like tournament selections and all that stuff because instead of taking three defenders, you can take me and two other luxury guys. So I think that hopefully helps moving forward. Uh, we want to to finish on a um, uh, it's like a psychological quiz okay. for Minnesota based. <laughs> um, you need to pick one of these two. Okay. Uh, and so we'll 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 take turns. Um, uh, Prince or Bob Dylan? Prince. Okay. No hesitation. Okay. Wow. And then we'll we'll close out the the, the music section. I'm going to add one here. We've got the replacements or who's could do. No idea. Okay. Minneapolis or St. Paul? Um, probably St. Paul. Okay. Okay. Brent Coleman or Brian Coleman? Um, I'm going to go with Brian because I think he would be more mad than Brent. I, Brent is probably, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he's probably, we'll not hear about this, but Brian will probably, so I'll go with yeah, Brian. Yeah, Brent, Brent is at a poker tournament right now. Yeah, um, he could be. Uh, twins or the Saints? Uh, Saints. The Twins are so bad. Okay. Uh, Christian Ramirez or Miguel Ibarra? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I think I've actually met Miguel, so I'll go with Miguel. Okay. He's super nice. Fargo the movie or Fargo the TV show? Um, I haven't seen the show, but I've heard it's fantastic, so I'll have to go with the movie. Okay. okay. All right. Well, uh, you passed the test. Passed? Great. Um, uh, thanks for, thanks for uh, stopping by on your vacation, taking your time out to chat with us. So... It's, uh, I hope you have as much success and then get knocked out by Minnesota United next year, although Minnesota United are apparently going to win only three games next year, so we'll see. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, hopefully I see you guys at some of the games. Hopefully we get two road games here. I'm, fingers crossed that we get to come up here a lot. So I, I mean, it would only make sense. But there aren't too many people, too many teams in with geographical closeness, but at least at least your your family will be able to, to see you at a at a, a game. It's here. crazy. I've so. never played it. I was thinking about it. I was talking to my mom about it. I haven't played a competitive soccer game in Minnesota since I was eighteen. So yeah. it'll be cool to come back and play. yeah. Where can the people find you on Twitter? Uh, at sign E Miller. Uh, there's four L's. Four L's. I removed yeah. six of them, so you can okay. be meaner to me on Twitter now. You have extra characters to de- <laughs> right. demoralize me, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you can tag me a little easier. You can, yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks.